Well, Happy New Year, friends. I hope you're doing great. Thanks for being here today. If you are a guest with us, we're really, really glad that you're here. If you are watching online, welcome. We're grateful that you've joined us as well. It's a new year, and so everybody's thinking about you know, new resolutions, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's always interesting to, to watch how people process uh, a year gone by and a year ahead, and some people have a lot of great moments, maybe some accomplishments to celebrate, and so if that's you, we celebrate with you. If, if 2022 was a great year for you, and the Lord blessed you in new ways, we are thankful to Him for that. Other people had a difficult year, and it was a year of heartache or a year of, of losses, a year of confusion, a year of anxiety, and we want to acknowledge that too. We all have different years at different times, and so we come into this place in different states of mind. Some of us thankful for a year that's gone by. Some of us thankful that that year is gone. And I know in whatever way you experienced 2022, uh, that the Lord was with you, and I pray that he blesses you mightily in 2023. So it's the time that we think about resolutions, isn't it? We do that. That's the natural thing we do at the turn of the year, and we think about what happened last year and how we'd like uh, the coming year to be different. So just sort of a thing, uh, making resolutions. So just show of hands, who has made some New Year's resolutions? Okay, good. Now, we're about ten and a half hours in. Who has already broken one of your New Year's <laughs> resolutions? See? You're not going to fess up, are you? It's happened. It's happened. The New Year's resolutions are great, and they work for different people in different ways, uh, but, but they don't always work out like we thought they would. But you've probably made some resolutions, if not this year, you've made them other years. And every year they survey Americans to see what our most common resolutions are. Before we show them, just think of what you think some of the top ones are, because I'll bet you know. Just think of that. All right, now let's show them on the screen some of the top resolutions uh, that we have. The first three, it may be a little small to read, so I'll tell you. Uh, the first three are all about the same. Exercise more, eat healthier, and lose weight. Which do, those all sort of need to happen, right? The, the, in different ways. Another one, that save money. Right? And then the next two go together. Spend more time with family and friends and spend less time on social media, which is good, right? Those two sort of have to go together too, don't they? Uh, reduce stress on the job. And then the very last one is reduce Spending, which kind of needs to be up there right hand in hand with save money, right? There's only two ways to save money, and one is to reduce spending. Anyway, I am not a financial advice giver. Those are the resolutions that uh, Americans have made most recently, the top ones, and you probably have some related to those. And then for those of us who are people of faith, we sometimes make resolutions that are related to our faith. So some common ones, and you may have had them before, you know, I want to read my Bible more or read it through in a whole year. I want to pray more. I want to be more generous. I want to treat others better. I want to break this bad habit that I have that is harming my walk with God. So we make resolutions sometimes related to our spiritual growth. And we do that because when we read the Bible, we see that we're called to grow. That's an important part of our Christian journey. And so we read verses like, 
Hebrews, the author of Hebrews telling us in chapter 5, says, some of you ought to be teachers, but you actually need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That's kind of chiding us, isn't it? Like, hey, you should have been further along by now. You should be teaching, but you still are a student. Yikes. But if we zoom out a little bit, we see that the author there is calling us to, gr- to deepen our, our knowledge and our love. That's what growth looks like as we continue our walk with God. Or 2 Peter 3.18, where we're called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are more we could list, but Scripture calls us to grow. And so we make resolutions that we think will help us grow. And even if it's not at the new year, sometimes we set different goals to help us grow. But sometimes those plans don't work out. I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. Oh, it's Leviticus. How many more festivals do I really feel like reading about? Okay. And that plan kind of goes away. I'm going to break this bad habit. I I know I'm going to do it. And then the next time temptation shows up, all that resolve is gone. And so we make these great plans or goals or resolutions for growth, and they don't quite work out like we had hoped, and we feel like a failure. And we look around at these other people. Oh, they, you know, they have got their spiritual growth down. And they seem to be doing great. Look at their nice Instagram photos of their coffee and their Bible every morning for their devotional. I'm not even out of bed in time to do that. You know? Everybody else seems to be spiritually maturing, not me. Everybody else has got these great goals and resolutions, and they seem to be on track with them. My growth doesn't quite feel like that. We look at people and we think it's just onward and upward for them. But what I want to think about with you this morning is this onward and upward constant steady growth might not be the only way spiritual growth happens. And it might not even be the main way that it happens. What I want to do is look at two very prominent figures in Scripture and look at how they grew And just see which one you might identify with more. Let's start with our good friend Paul. Now, many of us know about Paul, right? He is a leader of the Jewish community who is persecuting Christians and then has this moment on the road where he hears from Jesus, has this blinding light, and all of a sudden everything changes. And he goes from harming the Christian faith to being a leader of the Christian faith. So it's sort of this all bad, he meets Jesus, and daily growth. If we could chart out Paul's growth, it might look something like this. So he's persecuting Christians, he's heading downward, and then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Everything turns around, then he plants churches and writes letters and is just basically awesome from then on. Now, we know it's not like that exactly, and Paul wouldn't say that about himself. 
But when we look at Paul, we just see he, you know, he's got this moment and everything changes and it's all better. I acknowledge that some of you have experienced that. That's not how it's worked out for me. It may not be how it's worked out for you. I remember vividly the months after I became a Christian. So I was baptized in, uh, in middle school. Middle school or junior high. That's a hard time to be a Christian. It's just a hard time to be a person also. <laughs> I'd give real money to skip those years. But I was desperately trying to fit in. And so I'm engaging in behaviors and using language that's not appropriate for a follower of Jesus in the months after I was baptized. And I remember thinking, this is not how it's supposed to work. I mean, I'm not saying that I would never have a problem again, but I thought it would, like I would be better at this after becoming a Christian. I distinctly remember, remember having this thought. I think I was a better follower of Jesus before I became a Christian. That's not exactly theologically correct, but I thought that. It's not supposed to be like this. I, it should be onward and upward. And so I was frustrated with that. And I wonder if you have kind of experienced that in your own ways. For you, it might look like, you know, some years I'm onward and upward, but then it feels like more of them have moved me backward in my faith. Or you've got these recurring behaviors and habits that you just can't seem to kick. Maybe you feel more distant from Jesus now than when you became a Christian. We may have experienced some of that, those growth stalls as well. And we might think, well, this is not how it's supposed to work. And if we compare ourselves with, say, Paul, then yeah, something seems off. So what if we looked at a different person? What if we looked at our good friend, Peter? Now, it's easy to make jokes about Peter. He gets a lot of hate <laughs> because he speaks and then later he decides if he should have spoken. You know, he, he jumps out of the boat in faith and proceeds to almost drown. He tells Jesus there's no way he'd ever deny him and then just hours later does that exact thing. So it's easy to kind of make jokes about Peter, the blundering disciple. But his model might look different and it might give us hope. His journey is a little bit closer to mine. So if we put Peter on a timeline, here's what we might see. Well, he follows Jesus and things go up from there. He defends Jesus during the moment of his arrest. That's pretty good. But then, like moments later, he denies Jesus during a trial. So things start going down. But then he refollows Jesus as Jesus reinstates him. So onward and upward from there. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, he preaches at Pentecost. His sermon and the work of the Lord work together to, to bring 3,000 people to faith. Then he continues learning. In Acts 10... You remember when Peter has the vision? You know, he's, he's been following the Torah and he's had clean lines of division between Jews and Gentiles. And the, the blanket comes down with all the food on it. And Jesus tells him that this clean and unclean distinction between Jews and Gentiles 
no longer exist, and so Peter should live accordingly, and he, he seems to get that. And even when all the church leaders meet together to try to decide, essentially, how Jewish are we going to expect the Gentile Christians to act, Peter is defending the Gentiles. Like he's sticking up for the people who used to be excluded. That's good. And yet at some point, probably later, maybe before, but most likely later, he doesn't live this out. Because Paul has to get on to him and say, hey, you know better. You're, you won't eat with these people because you're afraid what happens when the Jewish leaders show up. And so you are excluding people out of social fear, even though you know what's right. There's a downward trajectory. He seems not to get it. But then he's writing letters and encouraging believers in difficult circumstances. So his journey is more up and down and unsteady. That's how my Christian journey has felt. Much more like that than the oversimplified version of Paul that we put out. Peter gives me hope because he's unsteady. And he's not always onward and upward. And I feel more affinity to him. And you might as well. I love the introduction that Brendan Manning writes in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, because I identify with the kinds of people he says he's writing his book for. He says he's writing for the wobbly and weak need who know they don't have it all together. For inconsistent, unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. For poor, weak, sinful women and men with limited talents. For earthen vessels who shuffle along on feet of clay. For the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. You ever just feel like your life is a disappointment to God? You keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I resolve to do this. It doesn't work out. I resolve to do that. And it's not working out. And you just feel like you are a grave disappointment to God. So maybe you're thinking as the year turns that you want to make a fresh start. You want to do some new things in your spiritual growth. What I want to do is tell you a couple of things that I've learned about how spiritual growth seems to happen. And I think if we can believe these things, we might feel a little more encouraged. The first thing I've learned, and you may have learned this too, is that spiritual growth is non-linear. It is not onward and upward in a constant motion. So Paul, yeah, that was sort of a straight shot. And we might draw his line a little bit differently. But for the purposes of our sermon, it was a straight shot. But that's not how it works out for many of us. For many of us, we would say, well, I've had mostly good years, but I had a couple that really went south. Or we would say, you know, I've, I'm a fervent follower of Jesus now, but I had many years when I was not. Or we might say every year there's this predictable downward turn. Some event, some moment triggers us and every year around the same time we fall into some of the same behaviors we wish we could get rid of. So if you look at your line of spiritual growth and you think it's just not onward and upward straight line... Join the club. Because I think most of us would say 
that's how it's worked for us. It's not been steady, upward, everything is good. Every day is better than the previous one. So it's spiritual growth is nonlinear. The second thing that I've learned is that spiritual growth is gradual. Again, Paul had this moment where everything changed. He sees the light, literally, and everything's different. He just rockets forward. But for many of us, spiritual growth doesn't look like that. It's, it's a slog. It is small, right choices each moment, each day, that lead us to more godliness. It's just those small moments. And it's nothing magical, nothing we would write a book about. Those are the ways that most of us experience spiritual growth. We might resonate more with 2 Peter's version of what it looks like to grow. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. We're told to make every effort to add to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this text describes a slow, steady process of adding one thing to another. And it might not be the same rate. It might be in fits and starts. There might be some backward moments. But that's what this passage tells us. Do this and add this and then grow in this way. So we can really boil that down to asking ourselves, if we want to grow spiritually, what is the next right step? You may have heard that phrase before. What's the next right step? So it's not, how can I defeat this big, bad habit that's in my life? It's more like, okay, here's a single temptation that's coming up. What is the next right step I can take to exhibit self-control in this moment? It's not, how can I read the whole Bible through in a year? And that might be your thing, and and that's good if it is. But it might look more like, you know, how could I spend 20 minutes a few mornings a week reading Scripture so that I can learn more about what it means to be godly? That's a next right step. That's what spiritual growth looks like. Uh, Productivity expert Laura Vanderkam says that small things done repeatedly have great power. Small things done repeatedly. Not some moment where everything changes. Small things done repeatedly. There's one more thing I want to tell us about spiritual growth that gives me great hope. Because it takes the weight off of me completely. I take great comfort in the words of Paul... when he opens his letter to the Philippians, where he says he is confident that the one who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this means that ultimately spiritual growth is God's to give. It's not all up to me, and I am thankful for that. I'm thankful that Ryan reminded us of that principle in his communion thoughts. That's what gives me hope. That God is still at work in me when I'm doing great on my goals and resolutions and when I'm not. 
that God is still at work in me. Paul's confident that that God who called us is not going to abandon us. So right now, God is at work in you. In 2022, no matter what kind of year you experienced, God was at work in you. And in 2023, God will be at work in you. So if you get bogged down reading Leviticus, God is still at work in you. And if you fall back into an old habit, God is still at work in you. And if you can't find the words to pray sometimes, God is still at work in you. So I just want to remind you, as you think of big resolutions and big goals you have and worry about being a failure, just remember these things. Spiritual growth is non-linear. Spiritual growth is gradual. And ultimately, spiritual growth is given by God who continues to be at work in us. Now, I want to leave you with some really, really practical tips. If you're thinking about what kind of goals you might set in the spiritual realm that might set you up for success and not failure. Here's a few things I've learned from talking with others about their goals. I'm a, um, a follower of um, Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller who run the Full Focus Company, and they've taught me a lot about goal setting that leads to a higher chance of meeting those goals. We set these big goals, like, I want to grow spiritually. Okay, what does that mean? I'm just going to give you a few you might think about, and you are going to have your own. But here's, a, here's some practical ideas that I think might set you up for success. One option is I will choose a reading plan and read Scripture for 20 minutes a day, five days a week. It's not every day I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. Okay, good luck. Let me know how that goes. You're going to read for an hour, seven days a week, no matter what. The first day it doesn't happen, you get frustrated. So there's a reasonable goal you could set. I will keep a written or digital prayer list and commit to praying for people three nights a week at bedtime. I will reduce my social media time by one hour a week and do pick, pick some other more um, useful activity instead. Here's one. I will leave for church ten minutes earlier so I can park and get inside in time to talk with people. I'm not, this is everywhere, okay? I'm not, I didn't write that just for you. I don't, I don't get to complain about that. I walk 20 seconds to be here, so I, you know, uh, that, no judgment. But it's encouraging, isn't it, to get to talk with people? So what if one of our goals was to make sure we had time to do that and encourage others as we showed up to church? Those are just some examples. Now, you might have others, but be specific and set a time you're going to do it. And you know what? If this kind of stuff doesn't speak to you, if it feels like it's too much pressure or it's just too much checklisty stuff, then don't do it. I just want you to grow spiritually in whatever that looks like for you. And whatever that looks like for you, I'm grateful. So I'm excited to see what God does to work in us in 2023, individually and as a church. And if your growth line this year looks messy... That'll be okay. Uh, I take comfort in these words from author Jeanette Winterson. She says, I know now, after 50 years, that the finding and losing, forgetting and remembering, leaving and returning never stops. The whole of life is about another chance. And while we are alive till the very end, there is always another chance. So in 2023, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and may you be 
as patient with yourself as God is with you. Let's be standing as we sing.